And welcome into the uh, Chris Collinsworth podcast starring Richard Sherman. And this week, a very special guest, the Kansas City Chiefs, great all-pro right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, is going to join us. And we'll talk about his dog, Cupcake, and how playing cornerback and tackle is very similar. And we'll tell a few Patrick Mahomes stories along the way as they backed up the uh, Brinks truck for him and uh that's always interesting. want to remind you that we have a lot of podcasts on the PFF uh, network. We have the NFL podcast with Steve and Sam, both preview uh, and review every week. The forecast that comes on at midnight or whenever the Sunday night football game is is over, they do it under the stars. It's unbelievable. They have a great background. Uh, George and Eric do that, two-for-one draft. Austin and Mike there with all the college and all the draft stuff there, our fantasy with Ian Harditz, which is probably our most popular one. It's unbelievable. Everybody watches that thing. And the two daily podcasts that um, that happen now is something new. So we're excited about all those things. Uh, but want to remind you, this is all sponsored by our great friends at DraftKings and DraftKings Sportsbook app. And with the NBA starting this week, if you use the promo code PFF, Guess what? You're going to get a 75-point add-on to the spread. So you pick a team, add 75 points to that team, and so you can't lose. They're, they're just giving away free money. There you go. It's, how could you get any better than that? It is the uh, DraftKings Sportsbook app. So go by and uh, check that out and enjoy. And I hope you will enjoy currently as we move on to Richard and Mitchell. All right, here we go with the uh, Chris Collinsworth podcast starring Richard Sherman and a special guest this week. We're very excited to have the one, the only Mitchell Schwartz, the world's greatest right tackle of the Kansas City Chiefs. Just a brief little uh, golf applause. Thank you very much for coming in here. How you doing, Mitchell? I'm doing awesome. Great to be here with you guys. I'm excited. Yeah, well, it's it's nothing to get that excited about, but uh, we do have fun. I got Richard on the other end. Uh, unfortunately, I've gone through all of Richard's high school football stories. These are the greatest stories you literally have ever heard. These are some of the all time all time great stories. But we haven't gone through Mitchell's, so we got we got plenty of time. Believe me, I was thinking the exact same thing. So, <laughs> I, I, Mitchell, before we get started, this is sort of like the way to indoctrinate somebody new to the podcast. We need to hear your favorite high school football story back when you probably played quarterback, when you were dating the cheerleader. We, we, we need something out of you from your high school football days. Well, the story is I didn't want to play high school football. Uh, I grew up mostly playing baseball. I was a big kid, so I threw hard. So, you know, I was a pretty good pitcher. Uh, my parents kind of coerced me into going out. I actually skipped the first couple of weeks to like ninth grade, you know, quote unquote training camp. And they got me out there as a quarterback because I was big. I threw the ball far, I threw it fast. So I'm like, yeah, you can go out. You can be a quarterback. You know, just go out there. It'll be good for you. So I get out there about a week or two in the head coach is like, yeah, you know, we need someone a little more mobile. We're probably going to move you to O-line. So <laughs> unbeknownst to me, the fix was in all along. My parents had conspired with the coach to just get me out there. Let me play QB for a week or two. So our team ended up being pretty good. We were nine and zero, had a bunch of talent, all that. So we blew a couple teams out. So I actually got a couple snaps of quarterback. So my first pass, I like, dropped back through like a 25 yard duck, but the dude like plucked it out of the air. So I was like one for one throwing. And then, we ran a uh, like a QB draw to get me on the open field and just zero vision, zero awareness, but ran straight to the safety. And I think I trucked him, but he also tackled me. So I fell face first about a yard later, which is how it goes for big slow guys. So, yeah, I was kind of coerced into doing it. thought I could be a quarterback, uh, switched to O-line, and uh, the rest is history. That has uh-huh. to be the all-time craziest transition from QB to O-line. <laughs> it's never been done before. Could not. Well, I, you know, we've seen a little bit of it um, from the Philadelphia Eagles. Didn't he play a little bit of uh, um, yeah, Lane, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lane he was, did. QB he played and, quarterback too? Yes. I'm no. telling you. I'm yeah, telling he ran, you. He ran like 4'8. I ran 5'4. So <laughs> he was a one and a half threat. I'm a, I'm a one threat. So, so you were a legit pitcher? Like, how hard could you throw? I mean, as a kid, I kind of plateaued in high school. I mean, I threw like low 80s to a point, but essentially I was always, you know, that much bigger and stronger than everyone else. So 
you know, proportionally I threw harder and then everyone caught up with me and I didn't really have that like limber live pitcher body to get the, uh, the whip and acceleration needed. We've seen, we've seen people in high school, like high school is the most unfair sport of all time. Cause there's always somebody like you or Richard, who's just sort of superior to everybody on the field. And then there's this 127 pound cornerback who has you come running down the field. Now, did the guy actually like try to tackle you or did he sort of find a way to conveniently get out of the way or get blocked or did he actually give it a shot? I don't even remember. It's one of those things where like a big guy gets his ball in the hands, he kind of just blacks out. And even though it's a, it's a design <laughs> run, you kind of just close your eyes, go for the best. Uh, I feel like Richard typically when an offensive lineman recovers a fumble or something, you guys typically go low. Yeah, um, you, you got to for, make us pay for all the times we go low on you guys. Hundred percent. No, this this week freaking Moses comes around. They pull toss tackle pull, and we're on the sideline. We're to the we're to the short side of the field, and I'm just like. I don't want to take his knee out, but if I get go high, I'm going to get bulldozed. So I went high, and he just, you know, he he, he gentleman me out of bounds. You know, he didn't toss me into the third row. You know, so I, you know, appreciate yeah, we had that uh, a few years ago against the Chargers. It was like late in the game; we were running the clock out. I pulled to the right. I could see the corner wanted to come me, but he didn't, and we were up a couple of touchdowns. So after the play, I was like, hey, that was a close game. You would have caught me, huh? He was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, it's nice when you go up against a guy who gets it, and you know, you guys are looking out for each other. Yeah, yeah, it's pro, pros and pros. It's like, hey, we both can get our job done. Nobody gets hurt. Everybody goes home to their family. Unbelievable. So the the quarterback turned tackle, turned world champion. Congratulations. We'll start there. You two guys faced off in the Super Bowl a year ago. Great game. Great. Um, but it, but Mitchell, it was it was such a weird year to win a championship. I've talked to a couple of guys on your team. And they say it's almost like we never won, you know, because you win a Super Bowl and you think you got the whole year and the rubber chicken thing and everybody's going to buy everything for you. But with the pandemic, it's like, wow, there's nothing, right? Yeah, I think it was we never really felt like we kind of put the bow on it. Um, you know, we got our rings like at the end of training camp. Maybe it might have even been like the very beginning of September. I feel like when we did the ring ceremony, which is also kind of a strange uh, occasion, we just all yeah, we had social distance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We went one by one on the field, shook the owner's hand, like stood at our own podium. So it took like an hour. It was like graduation, but we finally <laughs> all got there. They had like a 10 to one countdown. We all opened the box together. The rings are fantastic. I mean, they blew out my expectations. It's uh, way better than I thought it could be. And so after we got that, it kind of felt like, okay, this is kind of the cap around last season, but yeah, I mean, you know, I know the White House thing's a, a little bit of a hot topic, but, you know, that's a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be able to just go to that place and see it. Um, you know, like you said, not having the, you know, official ring ceremony and the cool party and the event and everyone, you know, friends and family and all that. Um, so it's a little bit of a strange offseason, but I wouldn't trade it for uh, the other side of the coin, I'm sure. Richard right, Richard, right, Richard, right, 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 right. You know, so. I can give you full, full <laughs> info on that if you want it. <laughs> So, yeah. so Richard, what do they still give out the uh, the uh, what I guess would be the NFC Championship ring? Did you get one of the NFC Championship rings? Yeah, we got the runner-up rings. Um, yeah, I've got yeah, I've got two of those. Believe I me, you randomly saw you, a photo of it. It looks really nice. Yeah, it's it's, it's decent. It would have been it would have been better with the with the big trophy on it. But you know, I got two second place trophies too, Chris. Oh my God, it is the worst. I wore it one time. I wore it one time to a party. And you'd think somebody along the way would go, oh, man, what a great game you guys had in the AFC Championship game. It was the freezing temperature, the freeze. No. All they ever talked about was every mistake that we made all night in the Super Bowl. I wore it one time. I stuck it somewhere. I still don't know where it is. I said, (laughs) I will never, ever, ever wear that thing because all they can remember is what you did wrong in the Super Bowl. That's it. Right, right, right. I mean, that's how it goes. You know, you only remember the winners and, and you're on a losing team. They remember what you did wrong. I mean, that's that's the glory of our game, you know, the good and the bad. So you, you but you got one of the big ones and Mitchell's got one. And I am, I'm stuck talking about you guys all the time. All right. That's all that matters. <laughs> how's uh, Mitch, how's how's Cupcake doing now? Richard, do you know who I'm talking about with Cupcake? Do you have any idea? No, I got nothing. Mitchell has the most famous social media dog in the history of social media dogs. 
I am not kidding you. Mitchell, for all his glory, for his size, for his physicality, for all the great things, all pro every year at right tackle, he has a dog that is perfectly named. I just want you to try and picture in your mind what his dog named Cupcake might be. That is the perfect vision of what Cupcake is. And he has his own social media site, right? Yeah, he's over like 150,000, uh, which is nuts. <laughs> so he's crazy, a, little, right? he's a seven-pound Pomeranian. We actually have a second dog named Pumpkin, which is also a hilarious name. And he's another little palm who's smaller than Cupcake. And it used to be, obviously, still the most famous Schwartz, uh, blowing me away in Instagram followers. But uh, Mahomes' two dogs, they have their own Instagram. And, you know, he's been tagging them a few times. So they finally yeah. surpassed my dogs, which I don't think was fair. He gets you know right. all the publicity just let me have the dogs man let me have something <laughs> you get everything quarterbacks they uh so so richard you'll love this so you know me it's like okay you play one position but you try and learn them all to do my job right i'm trying to learn i'm trying to you know receiver db okay i got a little bit of that I, I I play against some linebackers in coverage you got to crack every once in a while okay i got a little bit of that Offensive line play, that was the best time in the world to sleep during every meeting I was ever in, right? You didn't, nobody had to pay attention to that. So now I'm trying to learn offensive line play, and I actually really like it. I do. I, I find it really intriguing. There's a lot of things you got to do. And so we're doing this one game. What was it? Pittsburgh? Is that the game I was talking about? I can't remember which one it was. Anyway, I was talking about these duo blocks and all these other different words that I just learned from our former offensive line coach, Jim McNally. So he's going through the whole thing. You know, he's teaching me all the new blocks where you do like that and you tap your feet. And so I'm, I'm getting a, I'm getting a full lesson. So as soon as the game's over, I'm like so proud because I've gone through all these different scenarios and blocks and we've featured offensive linemen. I'm making stars out of offensive linemen that otherwise would go completely unnoticed by every other announcer in football, but no, I'm out there, I'm promoting offensive linemen, I'm talking about these great blocks, and maybe I mixed up a couple of words here and there, I don't know, and I'm getting calls from Mitchell's entire offensive line guru group that has all of them have a different word or a different phrase. I'm like, that's it. I'm never talking about linemen again. That's it. So defend yourself. I want to hear all about it. Yeah, I was actually reaching out because I saw you're getting a little bit crushed on Twitter. And obviously, I follow a lot of the O-line <laughs> guys and O-line Twitter and PFF don't really have the best uh, the best marriage there. No, so, no, no. There's not a lot of bonding with that, no. No. So I was trying to be somewhat of a peacekeeper and just try to get you some, some good information. So essentially, there's a run play called Duo. Uh, you know, we call it power without a puller, but it looks a lot like inside zone right. uh, from your guys' perspective. and. Um, so Chris was saying the play duo and also duo blocks. And typically you just say they're double team blocks. And right. so throughout the night, it was, everything was duo. The play was duo and the blocks were called duo. And so well, I learned were, a new word. I was like, yeah. I thought it was so good. What, hey. what difference does it make between a duo play and a duo block? I don't it should think be it the does, same thing. But people, as you saw, were getting a little feisty. Oh, they're killing me. I'm telling you. Stop. No, enough. I'll never do it again. I swear. I'll never yeah, do it again. I learned everything I, I know about O-line play from his brother, Jeff, um, following his Twitter and, and his analysis. And we were just talking about that. He goes, he he plays, and then, like, the first 30 seconds of the video, it's like, play one second, rewind. Play two seconds, rewind. Play three seconds. It's like, play it through and then explain it and then let me go through it. But I still think tackle – in the league is is so close to playing corner in the league. Like I feel like those two are almost like it's it's dealing with guys at the line of scrimmage, great hands, great vision, great footwork, like great patience. Like it's so close. We when I was young, when I was like my third, second and third year, Pete used to have me talk to the tackles about press technique uh, and about what where my eyes were and about my like with my hand placement and everything. And I was like, I don't know how to play on no tackle. And they were like, he was like, it's the same. Just just don't worry about it. Just tell them what you're seeing and what you're thinking. And I was like, I'll tell them, but I don't get it. But now I get it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's the hand fighting aspect. There's the leverage. I mean, you guys, you're obviously a bigger dude. You're pretty strong. But you also got to know how to play with leverage. I mean, if you're a taller guy who's kind of leaning on people, you know, you don't get that leverage as if you're, you know, doing things at the right angle, um, right. you know, having to learn that. You know, like you said, I mean, you can essentially if I have one bad play a game and give up a sack, 
I give up 16 sacks on the season. I'm cut. The guy going against me has 16 sacks. He's a pro bowler. Right. You know, if you give up one touchdown a game, you've given up 16 for a season, you're out of there. And the right. receiver catches 16 and he's like setting records. So it's really similar that that one play can just make or break your entire game, your entire season. And they, and they freaking rotate. That's the same, another similarity. The receivers yep. can come in and out, in and out. Pass rushers come in and out, in and out. And we got to sit there for 60 snaps. And they're like, well, why, why did he beat him so bad on this play? Well, because that was the 12th play of my drive. And that was the second play that after a water break for him. So, uh, you know. Yeah, when you see, you know, certain teams rotate a little bit more. But typically a guy, defensive end, gets like three or four plays. You kind of get that first or second and first down. The whole new D-line comes in. So now you're dealing with fresh dudes. And then that first third and medium, here comes whoever here comes running the- on the field, nice and fresh, just geared up for you. Man, that's exactly how it is at quarter. You'll you'll be like you'll be like, hey, here's Julio Jones, man. I got him for three plays. <laughs> you know, crazy. And you're like, that was crazy. Then he goes out, and you're like running go routes with this guy who's not getting the ball, but you still got to cover him. And then you're like, freak, this is I'm gassed. And here comes Julio, third and seven. <laughs> Let's go. Fresh off a water break, about to give you everything he got. And you're like, all right, well. Well, the thing I feel like, especially for O-line play these days, is the defensive line has gotten, like, so much better since I've been in the league. Uh, obviously, guys are getting more athletic, but they're getting a lot more skilled, too. And, you know, with the emphasis on needing to get to the quarterback as fast as you can to disrupt, you know, the timing. I mean, you guys obviously did that, like, the best out of anyone last year. Um, you know, it's really you – you guys can rotate eight guys in at any time, and they're all pretty much uh, going to be top-level NFL players. And so, you know, my guy goes off, another comes in, and pretty much I'm facing a high-quality uh, player. And it's just – it's crazy how much depth the league has built a defense line because the scheme of offenses, the quickness of the passes, I mean, that's kind of the trend. You just got to get there as quick as you can. Obviously, Chris, you guys know Aaron Donald's your top guy every year. Being able to get to the quarterback that fast from the inside is just such an advantage. Yeah, the amazing thing about him is how many his rate his win rate against double teams is about the same as the ordinary defensive tackle or three technique against a single block. I mean that that kind of statistic makes you go, wait, there's no way. But it's about the same for for the average guy in the NFL. He's about as good against a double team as everybody else is against a single block. And it's almost like people are getting bored with his success. And that's why he he's like like they don't even talk about him for defensive player of the year all the time as they should. Like it's like LeBron with the MVP and and if um, I mean um, NBA, it's like oh he's been good for so long. Oh he's been playing at a high level for so long that it's like that's kind of expected. It's like oh he he's gonna beat double teams and get four sacks in a game. He's gonna get three sacks. He's gonna play on prime time and play out of his mind. But what about the other guys? It's like no, he's the defensive player of the year. You should give it to him every year if he deserves it. Well, the crazy thing I mean with both those guys is. You know, they keep putting up the same stats or even slightly better as teams gear everything to stop them. So it's like, yeah, the stats look the same, but having to fight through what they fight through and Chris is saying double team block stuff like that to still get those stats. I mean, the reason, I mean, Donald beats guys so quick that like the second guy can't even get there in time to really recover. And so typically he's either beating a guard like around the outside where the center can't even help, which is already nuts because the guard knows he has the center to help him. Or he like slips the guard so quick that like the center can't react and then he slips that guy. It's just it's crazy to watch. And then you combine that with just like watching him literally throw offensive linemen into quarterbacks. Um one of those rare times I'm actually happy to not play guard. They they freaking ran a stunt against Dallas and it was like it went viral when he freaking just bowling balled his way through the whole <laughs> like who does that in the league? Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, you, you said double team block. I just want to correct you. That's a duo block. But don't worry about it. I just I just want to help you out there with, with some of that stuff. You know what's really interesting? That, yeah, that both you, both of you guys have in common, though, is all the hand fighting. Like, And I, I, I sort of remember seeing this for the first time with the 49ers a long time ago. They would bring this martial arts guy out on the field for both, you know, for the cornerbacks to work with and against and for the offensive linemen then to work with and against. But talk about the significance and, and what you guys don't like about the hand fighting. Because, you know, you got the one-arm stab sometimes, Mitch, from, from the pass rushers. You've got the double swatch. You've got all these different ways for them. And if they knock your hands down, even for a brief moment, the best of them then are turning the corner and getting to the quarterback. 
Yeah, and that gets back to kind of our leverage. I mean, my first offensive line coach uh, in Cleveland was George Warhop, and he talked a lot about if I'm doing everything right, if my technique is right, my body position, you know, I should win that block well over 95% of the time. You know, typically when I'm watching film, when offensive linemen are watching the film, uh, you're watching and you say, oh, I took a bad set, or oh, I was freaked out about Aaron Donald, so I flew out too soon, and now I'm not in a good position. Um, you know, if we're doing what we need to do, which is obviously very hard against the guys we go against, uh, typically things take care of themselves. But yeah, I mean, to your point, a, a big emphasis for O-line is punching on the rise. And so if I'm punching down, it's a lot easier to kind of get your hand swiped and fall down. And so a big thing with us is making sure that as you're punching up, you know, it kind of sinks your hips down and make sure that you're in the right body position. And so you're better able to counter stuff like that. I mean, we see, um, I mean, they got probably the best guy going right now in Trent, uh, you know, his ability to kind of do all these cool things with his hands. He can flash guys. He can, um, you know, kind of bait them into stuff he wants at the end of the day. If a guy tries to bowl him, I mean, he's a huge dude. He can just sit down on it. And so there's all these little tricks you kind of figure out. I mean, like I said, I'm not the most athletic guy for the offensive tackle position. So I really had to work on um, leverage, figuring out how to, you know, defeat certain blocks. Um, but a guy who can string things together, I mean, that's what we saw with, you know, Bosa last year and, you know, why he kind of blew up the way he did is, you know, he has an awesome first move, but the second and third and fourth move, I mean, he's able to kind of string these hand moves together. And so, yeah, he might swipe my hand, I replace, I get it back on, and now he swipes it again. And that's when the offense lineman isn't necessarily in that right position to uh, recover on it. You know, I can recover from the first time the hand swiped, uh, but the second time and guys who can do that, I mean, there's really not much you can do when a guy's being, you know, stringing all these sorts of moves together. And Richard, for you, how much of it is changing up like a pitcher? In other words, how many different ways to try and jam a receiver do you use? I, I assume sometimes you turn and run. Sometimes you want to go after him. How important is it to give him different looks? It's really important because, like I said, it's so similar to, to tackle play in that you got to mix it up. But it's it's so it's so it's such a, a weird league and how they officiate it now that you almost have to be careful because you can get a great press. You can have great footwork, hand placement, everything. And the quarterback throws the ball. Like it's quick game and you just got engaged and the receiver's trying to shake you off and, and grab the ball. And it's like, Hey, this is a perfect, like locked out rep. And before I can end the rep, they threw the ball and, you know, and now they're calling you for holding or calling you for pass interference. So it's about understanding, having a feel for, for the tempo. You know, a lot of it is, is tempo and a lot of it is not throwing your hands too early because if you throw them too early and you get knocked down, it's a, out there on the edge, it's over with fast. Like, it's so much space. It's so much speed. So it's like you can you could try to recover once you get knocked down, but usually you get knocked down. And if it's if it's same side elbow and they're going by, then it's a foot race. So you usually try not to have too much pressure on in your hands. You know what I mean? You can't have the same kind of pressure and impact in your hands as you used to, you know, unless you're playing cover two or two man, you know, where, you know, you have safety over the top and you can recover. But if you get too handsy and you're leaning too much on your hands, then like you said, you can, you can get knocked down. And, and at that point it's all, you know, chasing, then you can't read the routes. You can't react. You can't diagnose anything. So a lot of times it's, it's about hand placement and understanding patience and, and really waiting for the, receiver to to get into his release that's you know it's really interesting you say that because that was something i learned in cleveland with joe thomas is he used to say you know the o-line coach can tell me to punch but not how hard and so for him he wasn't like punching defenders he wasn't like throwing himself a defense lineman he used to call it you know aggressively placing his hands but to him that was his way of kind of calming his body down not getting overextended not lunging and so it's really cool to hear you say that too because that's exactly what joe used to talk about because that's the, that's the only way you can, because it's, it's no guarantee you hit them. Like, it's no, like, they always react until you. So if you freaking, like, you're like jam. And it's like, you, you think about, whoa. And these receivers are so quick and so fast that it'll happen and it'll be over with and, and they'll be waving their arm up and the quarterback will see them and your day's over, you know? And, and you got to press guys like Tyreek, you know? You got to press the speed guys because if you let them run, you don't have a chance either way, anyway. So when you press them, you can't press them to like manhandle them, you press them to control. It's like, hey, I just want to control you. I don't want to beat you up and stop you. I just want to get to a point where I feel like, hey, we're running the same speed. Like I, you cannot run as fast as you want to run at this point. And then we get into, you know, understanding. You know, what's really interesting is, and I assume Mitchell was talking about some of the shorter pass rushers. 
in the league. But even Aaron Donald's, what, six feet tall, something like that. So the idea of, of having to push your hands down to somebody like that, immediately you're in a poor leverage position, right, to try and make that block. And I was wondering, Richard, do you find the same thing? Is Because you're a pretty tall corner, 6'1", something like that, 6'2", whatever you are. But do you find that when you are having to go after a shorter guy and go down, that it's easier to miss or get in a bad body position? It's 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 more easy to get hands to the face, honestly. Like, and, and the refs are always, like, they'll give you warnings because they'll see it. Like, they'll see I'm punching for his chest, and he just, like, everybody when they first react to a play, the snap, they, like, duck down. You know what I mean? Like, they're releasing. They go from here to here. So if I'm already, you know, got a few inches on him, then he goes, then I'm aiming here. I'm aiming right here. And then he drops his head to where I'm, I'm aiming, and it's almost impossible. So with those guys, you have to almost wait for them to to declare and, and shoot a shoulder so that you can hand on shoulder, hand on shoulder, hand on shoulder, so that you don't hit them in the face because there's no way you're getting their chest. Like if they're standing this flat so you can get their chest, then they probably don't have a chance anyway. It's Is that true, Mitch? Is that true that the shorter guys can actually give the tackles more trouble than the, the bigger guys with the low arms? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're going against like the six, 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 seven guy, you do have that natural leverage on him. Uh, you know, for me personally, that's why I tend to hold my hands low because it's easier to, you know, punch up when your hands are lower. You know, some O-line coaches teach, you know, have your hands like right in front of your face or being able to like the, see through the U and all this stuff. And it's like, well, one, I'm just like punching and slapping down on the guy. And two, if my arms are extended, isn't he just going to sway my hands anyway? You know, I had an O-line coach that talked about like, you know, keeping your hands pretty much fully extended, um, a little bit of a slight bend in the elbow. And I'm just like, isn't he just going to swipe my hands? He's like, yeah, but then you just replace. It's like, yeah, but my job is to like make contact and be strong with it. It's not just to like fight with my hands until he throws me into the quarterback. Um, so yeah, the, the, the shorter guys do tend to have a little bit of better leverage, especially against taller tackles. Um, you know, you tend to see that a little bit. And then, um, you know, Vaughn, they talk about, you know, the pass rush summit. I think they call it that ghost technique where essentially it's like he's there and then he dips under the table and he's no longer there. It's like a ghost is, uh, you know, no longer there. I mean, that's the type of thing you just, you literally can't like punch low enough to, to actually get hands on him. And so um, obviously he's a one-on-one and, and being able to pull that move off, but uh, having the leverage to get as low as you need to, to be able to turn the corner. And, um, you know, you've seen guys with hands on him and they're basically on like the top of the shoulder or his back and you're not actually pushing him or widening him. You're kind of just like pushing his force into the ground, which is where he's driving his force from anyway. So he's still able to turn the corner if your hands are on top of him. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, Frank, Frank, who's with you guys now, is really good at it too. He's mm -hmm. great at getting in weird, unorthodox spots. Yeah, and then he spins off it too, which is like, <laughs> yes. I don't even know how he got there in the first place. And all of a sudden, spin <laughs> comes. And he did uh, the Dolphins left tackle a little dirty on that one this past week. It was, it was pretty awesome. He's, he's one of the most, like, non-technical, technical freaks that I've ever seen. Like, he, he probably couldn't tell you how he got to his move, like, what he's setting up, but he sets it up and uh, pulls it off every time. Like, yeah, we had one play during camp. I kind of underset. I had a feeling he was going to spin. So I kind of like underset for it. And I could tell like his body wanted to. And then he realized like, oh, I can just run around the corner. And so he did. So I <laughs> him after, And I was like, yeah, you were going to spin, huh? He's like, yeah, but you were too inside. So I just ran around you. Okay. I was like, well, there you go. Like, you know, that that's the type of move or idea that makes a guy elite is like he had a plan going in. I took away his first option and he just like instinctively reacted and took what I was giving him and used it to his advantage. And right. it's guys like that, you're like, what do I do? What's the answer to that? It's like you're countering me and you're not even planning it. I have to plan for everything I'm doing. And that's why it's so hard at these reactionary positions like 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 corner and like tackle is because you can play it perfect and they can do something totally unorthodox and make a heck of a play. And then people are like, how did you not stop that move? Because it went against everything logical. It went against the things that make sense. Like this is what happens 90% of the time. And he 10%ed me. I'm sorry. Yeah. I put it in my notebook and you got it. Yeah. A guy you play with Staley, uh, you know, he's known for being on the opposite end of that, the DeMarcus Ware, like the half spin. So I don't know if you ever talked to him about it. My personal theory is that he actually caught DeMarcus in the spin 
And then Staley like overreacted thinking DeMarcus had beat him and DeMarcus's like momentum was stopped. And so he just reverted back. And so people think it was like a pre-planned half spin. And I've seen that work like once or twice in practice with guys who are bold enough to try it, but it doesn't work in like game situations. Right. And so I don't think it was like a pre-planned, you know, partial spin from DeMarcus. I think he just got stuck. Staley like kind of overreacted and he went back, but that's the type of thing again, like, most guys, if they get stuck in a spin, they just continue it out and get locked up. Like they don't have the wherewithal to like, oh, this isn't working. Let me just go back. And and, yeah. and, and now it's an all-time play. Yeah. And, and guys are like, I'm going to put that in my book. Well, try it. Try it. Try to put it in your book. <laughs> you get stonewalled. You know, it's interesting. We were having a conversation with all the PFF boys about at this point, would you rather have a Chase Young, who obviously is a bit of a freak, right, on the outside edge, or would you rather have an Aaron Donald on the inside? Because watching um, T.J. Watt and the Pittsburgh Steelers and Cam Hayward and uh, Stephon Tuitt inside, it's almost like it's a vice. It's almost like T.J. is going to come up the field, make a hard right, and he's going to be the back of the vice. And then those two guys are going to be the front of the vice. And there's going to be nowhere to step up. And there's going to be nowhere to fade back. There's going to be nothing, nowhere to go, right, with, with this whole thing. But if you can only have one, which one's the more valuable to pure defensive personnel, the inside or the edge rusher? I'll let you go. I'll let you go, man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel like you guys have actually done a couple studies on this, which I've read. Uh, and the crux of it is, like, even with as good as the inside guys are these days, for whatever reason, like, elite outside pressure still gets to the quarterback like a tenth of a second sooner. And then the other part of that is that an edge rusher is way more likely to strip the ball and or to hit the quarterback's arm as he's throwing, which can lead to turnovers. Mm -hmm. And essentially the ability to create those turnovers, turnovers basically puts the edge towards having that elite defensive end, which also makes my job a little bit more difficult and makes me more valuable. So I'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) I think I I agree there because I think, that the interior and I, and I, and I can't, you know, no knock on the interior guys, but there aren't a lot of Aaron Donalds, you know, there aren't a lot of guys coming from the interior getting freaking 15, 16, 17 sacks, 20 sacks. Like you, you, you're more likely you will have 16, 17 sack guys from the edge all the time, you know, damn, dang near every year. And it's not necessarily the, the top, top guy, you know, sometimes Vaughn is sitting there at 13, 14 and you got four or five other guys at 16, 17, you know, that they're just having a great year. I think it also spreads the O-line a little bit more and puts a lot more stress on the entirety of the O-line because, you know, I'm no O-line expert and I don't know, you know, I know two jet, you know, two scat. I know, I know 200, whatever, you know, it's old school West coast. Um, But, but I feel like they can clamp down easier on interior rushers and help than they can spreading out and trying to help on the edge. You know, you got to chip, you got to really change the offensive game plan and really affect a lot of aspects of it. To, to help a tackle. But I'll say this. There are every time a new edge rusher comes in to play with Aaron Donald, they end up with double-digit sacks. It doesn't even matter who it is. Eventually, those guys are getting pushed back. You know, if that quarterback can't step up at all, and Mitch, you understand this better than anybody, you're right, you're dead. And if they go backwards, which Patrick does all the time, he's unbelievable. He makes more plays moving backwards than anybody I've ever seen. I, give people some idea what it's like to play and, and try and protect him because you never know where he's going to end up. Yeah, uh, you know, that's something that you kind of just block for where he's supposed to be and react off of that. Um, you know, in Cleveland, I play with Manziel, who's a little more uh, erratic in the pocket too and, and would take off. And you just block for where the quarterback's supposed to be. And when your defense alignment starts either like running way too far upfield or – you know, is running in a different direction, you know, one of the ways you kind of know the quarterback's left the pocket and that's all you can do. I mean, just block for the expectation, react off of it. Um, you know, trust that, you know, Pat usually makes us right. He's, he's really good at that. He definitely makes me look a little bit better than I am. And so you kind of just trust that he's going to, you know, a- avoid the pressure, maneuver the right way. I mean, obviously the wasp play in the Super Bowl ends up being a, a 15 step drop and, you know, he's or a 15 yard drop. I mean, he's taking his normal drop. He feels Bosa has a little bit of pressure inside and he just kind of continues with it. That's just kind of those innate feel things that you can't really teach in a guy. And yeah, like you said, I mean, usually if a guy is going to be that deep, he's going to get creamed by my guy, by another guy. Uh, and somehow it just works out for him. He's just always aware of like everything that's happening on the field. He, you know, is able to 
throw the fourth read when he's only looking at the first read and he just has this feel that like the backside corner is cheating on something and like boom guys wide open and he just sees stuff you're not supposed to and he sees it up front too which is you know really cool Richard had a great story from the Super Bowl about about a pass that he threw where he literally stopped the receiver. Richard thought he had a pick six coming on a play, <laughs> and he saw it, stopped, and threw it to the back shoulder and got away he with it. He didn't even stop. His arm motion just just stopped the receiver because it was a it was a crash like crash slant route, and I read it off the break. And I'm, I'm beating Tyreek to the spot, which you know is damn impossible because he's flying. And it was like he he saw me like he had to see me out of like the corner of his eye and literally at mid throws like stopped him stopped Tyreek in his tracks and Tyreek stopped and caught it and then turned back and I was just like had to stop my whole momentum like what the hell is going on like, <laughs> like, the hell just well, happened else for sure so that's part of what makes the Pat and uh, Kelsey so special is that Kelsey basically doesn't run anything the way it's drawn up or the way you're supposed to. He just has like the most amazing feel for the position and for the game and where the space is. And, you know, Travis will catch a ball and the guy will be like eight yards behind him, but he'll stop on a dime and the guy just keeps running out of his shoes. And he does all these things that are just pure like feel and just understanding of football. And he and Pat are like this weird mind meld thing where they see it the exact same. And so like Pat can throw a ball that's not supposed to be where it is, but Travis knows like that's where he's supposed to be. And Travis just ends up there. And so, you know, you got two guys with obviously elite attributes, but also this like crazy feel and they're seeing things the same way. It just, it's, it's obviously from my perspective, really fun to watch. Right. It makes it really special and it makes it really hard to defend because you're not defending the plays anymore. You know, it's almost back to what we were talking about with pass rushers. It's just like the reactionary aspect of it throws in a whole different element because if you know, Hey, this stunt is happening. Um, this, this, this stunt between the D tackle and tackle, and they're going to, they're going to, stunt and you're like then one guy just abandons the stunt midway through and just take you know it's like yeah Khalil Mack he almost got there they uh, so when Patrick signed his deal did they actually like bring an ATM machine into the locker room or what, what did they do how they uh, they brought in a fleet of Brinks trucks and, uh, <laughs> surrounded the building with no. <laughs> uh, no it was quarantine I, I was surprised he was even like allowed in the facility but uh, I actually don't think they signed in the facility because I think everything was locked down I don't know what happened or where it was but uh, yeah it's a weird situation where usually you're kind of around the guy you're able to you know be around and you know, make all the jokes and kind of do those things. But uh, it's awesome, man. I mean, I know he got criticized a little bit for kind of the structure of the deal and the way it played out. But, I mean, he wanted, you know, everyone else to get paid. He wanted to keep the team together. You know, took a little less up front than, you know, a lot of the other top-level quarterbacks. And, I mean, we're sitting here in a pretty good spot. So, uh, you know, definitely a great teammate from that perspective as well. It, it is unbelievable to think that the guy signed a half-a-billion-dollar contract and it was a team-friendly contract. There's no question about it. Yeah, I mean, they they were able to kind of do stuff where it makes it, you know, player-friendly too. He has that weird baseball rolling guarantee structure that essentially if they want to cut him at any point, they have to pay like the next year's full salary to do it. So he's got that protection too. But yeah, I mean, when you looked at like the cash flow, everyone talks about, you know, the first three years of cash flow. I mean, he was like way behind a lot of the other quarterbacks. I think he was like even with Tannehill or even behind that one. And yeah, he did it for a reason. I mean, he did it because he knew the core that we had. He wanted to make sure, you know, we re-signed Chris, we were able to extend Tyreek, we were able to extend Trav, uh, do all these other things to keep the core together. Cause I mean, we got something special and obviously we're hoping to, uh, you know, get back there this year. And um, yeah, I mean, it's typically quarterbacks, obviously Brady was kind of the one they talk about in terms of not, you know, pushing for the top level salary every single time, but that was his third and fourth deal. You know, his, I think it was his second deal. He set the market for the quarterback and Pat was able to set the market, but also do a deal that, you know, allowed our team to stay together. And, you know, it's incredibly rare for a guy to do that. You know, the first time he's got the chance to maximize his value. Yeah. But you, you know what the story is on that, don't you? That Brady has never made enough money playing football to pay the taxes Giselle has to pay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't, I don't know. know. Back then, if, I don't know how long they've been together, but he that wasn't always the case. So right, right, right. right. They're talking about like, nothing. <laughs> hey, Richard, I've got one for you, and I'll let you guys get out of here. So pass interference right now, okay? 
And I played receiver, so I'm all in favor of all you cheating defensive backs getting <laughs> caught and penalized in any way possible. But I will say, if I were the head coach right now of a football team, and I ever, if one of my receivers ever got behind a defensive back, I would tell him at that point, abandon ship on even trying to make the catch. You're just going to stop, and when you see the ball, and jump right into that defensive back, and we've got 40 yards no matter what. There is absolutely no way it's not getting called. No way. I mean, th- this week, and you can go back and look at the All-22, and you can almost emphasize it, right before the half, I've never seen this. I've literally never seen this not called. Our receiver, it was like third and 15, third and 16, like a waist down. Like, you know, just just throw it up or, you know, just take the – just get ready to punt. So they ran like a seven pump, and the corner was sitting because he thought it was just going to be a, a kite route at the, at the sticks. And the, the receiver was about to blow by him, and he tackled the receiver to the ground. And the ref looked right at it, looked at the quarterback. The quarterback was getting hit and said, we didn't throw it because the quarterback was getting sacked. And I said, well, the quarterback was looking at his read, get tackled. Like, <laughs> what did you and, – and he didn't call it. And I was like, I've never seen that. You can watch the play. I've never seen it not called. But you're right. I mean, that's that's offense now. You can literally throw it up anytime, And you can almost – I mean, probably 50, 40% of the time at least get the call. Like and yeah, so, that's, so that's, that's a rule I'd like to see change, especially sounds weird coming from an offensive guy. I hate the underthrown pass. The receiver just jumps and like you have zero time to react and you get the, the foul. I think that's an, honestly an awful rule. And I think they need to have some judgment there where like you shouldn't get rewarded for underthrowing a guy to where usually he can't even catch it. And the corner can't like it, it's you're reading so much into the play. It's like you're running towards the guy. You're panicking. You're like, hey, I got to catch up. Then you catch up and you're looking at him. Then he puts his hands on you. And you're like, okay, do I look? Do I play in him? Do I, you know, like, how can I play the ball and not do too much? And then at that point, you're just like, it, there's no winning. There's no win. Well, you're for asking you. for something that physically can't be done. One, reaction time. And two, like the momentum of running full speed to then just like stop, jump straight in the air and not run into the guy who's doing the same. I don't know. I think you guys are kind of in a bad position with PI and with all the personal foul stuff and being able to the bang bang aspect. of I, I don't think they care anymore. I, as long as the ball keeps moving and points keep getting scored, I think they're good. 40 yards. Oh, that's good. Uh, the fewer holding penalties this, this year. Oh, that's good. I still haven't figured out why holding is a 10 yard penalty. It's like every rule that they make is to protect the quarterback, right? Every right. single rule. So when you make a 10-yard penalty, you know, you almost kill the drive. Make it a five-yard penalty. What the heck? You're going to hold anyway. Everybody knows it's going to go on, right? You're going to do five-yard. Let's keep the drive alive. Let's, let's you know, let, let's if they hold, then throw the flag. But it's only five yards you can overcome. But it's just like offensive pass interference. You know, it's it's 10-yard penalty. And it's like defensive pass interference can be a 70-yard penalty. And if, they, if they're preventing an interception and tackle the corner to the ground and just say, hey, we saved the interception, it's a 10-yard penalty. And it's like, that would have been a turnover. That's a game-changing play. That's a play that could get that can literally change the game. But instead, it's a 10-yard penalty that can be overcome. Like, you can throw a screen the next play and, and get 12, and then you're back right back where you started, you know? And, and that's what's frustrating. But, you know, as a defensive player, like you said, Chris, they don't really care. You know, they don't, they don't care. They want the ball to move. They want first down. They, that's why every – Every play in the secondary is automatic first down. ICT can be like a – you barely touch a guy, and it can be on third and 35, and it's an automatic first down. You know, holding, whatever the case may be, it's automatic first down. So, Mitchell, now you know why this is a one-hour podcast because it takes me a full hour to get him pissed off enough to be himself. That's a, that's the way I, I just – it takes me one hour. I, I'm, I'm not good enough to get it sooner. I dig it. You got to get them going, then the truth comes out. (laughs) (laughs) So set me free, bitch. (laughs) You guys are the best, man. That was really fun, Mitch. Thanks for coming on. And uh, Richard, as always, it's always a blast talking with you. So hope you'll do it again one day because that was fantastic. All right. Now joining me after that uh, stellar performance by those two. You're under a lot of pressure here, George. That was a, yeah. that was a good show. That was a good show. So you better get all these picks right because <laughs> God knows I won't. Oh, God. Here we go. So, you know, week 15, but it's also the beginning of the NBA season, which I know you love. You're, you're a big Lakers guy, right? I just finished celebrating about yeah. 30 minutes ago. 
Yeah, you celebrate every 30 minutes. So what difference is it? <laughs> so we've got, yeah, I even saw the podcast the other night. You guys are drinking because the Steelers got beat. You're unbelievable. They have, so, but we have the, uh, the, the DraftKings sports app and it's basketball season. It's amazing. LeBron is getting started again here. And so the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and, and you're going to go on there. And I was, we were reading the promo at the beginning. You get 75 points. If you just sign up for something, that's, that's like, you can't lose that. Right. I mean, you well, get to add 75 points to your team's score. There's no way to lose that. They give you one chance, right, to win a bet easily. So you get that chance, you go, you sign up, don't blow those winnings in one place, right? You gotta be smart afterwards. And um, that's, you know, that's why we're here. We're here to help people be smarter at betting, but um, it's a great deal to get started. Promo code PFF, you rock in. And if you're a Lakers fan like me, I'm guaranteed to get one win betting on the Lakers because I'll bet them plus 75 and uh, they won't lose by 75 points. I'm very confident in that. Um, so go download the app. It's a great app. The best thing about it, all the promos are awesome. The odds boosts are great. But the best thing about it is that it's as easy to deposit as it is to withdraw your money, which is just like the opposite of every other gambling organization out there. So I highly recommend it. It's awesome. They will not give out tequila if you're right about your bet though. That is something that, as you mentioned, that's only the PFF forecast. So um, go download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code PFF, get that 75 point spread uh, added to whichever team you choose on uh, NBA opening night. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, although Michigan coming soon. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or if you're like George and Eric after the games and you have a good week, then you have a gambling and a drinking problem. That's no problem. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You guys are unbelievable. All right, here we go. We're going to speed dial this. We were going to we were going to cut this down because the podcast went a little long. We were going to cut it down, but we're going to speed dial instead. OK, this is so this is more of a gut reaction. Your top comment. I'll give you a little bit of my impressions and we'll see. So the Buffalo Bills at the Broncos and we have the Bills after that stirring win over the Pittsburgh Steelers the other night. Josh Allen was unbelievable in that game. They <laughs> blitzed him from every angle imaginable. Comes away with the win. The Bills now 10 and 3, first place in the AFC East, and the Broncos just 5 and 8. But the Broncos also know how to play defense. And you got to expect a little letdown. So mm -hmm. six and a half points I kind of like the Broncos here. I, I mean, that, am I crazy? Drew Locke had a big game. What, what do you think? Drew Locke had his best game of the season by far. Like, he hasn't graded over 70 in PFF's uh, system ever, really. And uh, he did. So he, he played well. Look, I, I was all in on the Bills last week against the Steelers. That's why I was drinking tequila on the podcast. Um, but I said this to you before. Just because you like a team one week doesn't mean that you've got to buy them the next week. And buying the bills at the top of the market last year was dangerous. They fell off a little bit at the end. They're not playing for as much in this game, right? They don't have a chance at the one seed. There really isn't going to be a ton of competition for them to win the division. Whereas the Broncos, you know what they're playing for, Chris? Moral victories. They are playing for that end of the year run where Drew Locke looks promising and they can talk about it all off season. So six and a half, I'm with you. Sort of like last year, kind of mm -hmm. like that, that yeah. same sort of deal. I got it. Seahawks at Washington. How about the football team? The Washington football team is now sitting there in first place in the East and currently the number four seed in the NFC, but we don't know who's going to play quarterback yet, right? We don't know is Alex Smith, is it going to be Dwayne Haskins? We're not sure what's going to happen, but we're really sure it's going to be Russell Wilson on the other side. So five and a half points and the Washington football team. Do you like that? I'm curious. So I think it will be Alex Smith. Um, this is a low total, only 44. So, you know, five and a half is a decently sized number, but Here's kind of my take on the on the football team right now. Everyone is really buying into their defense, and it did look good. But it looked good against some teams that maybe aren't the greatest offensively. I think we found out that the Steelers aren't the greatest offensive team. Nick Mullins isn't going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. The Seahawks are a great offensive team with a Hall of Fame quarterback, uh, and they need to keep winning these games. 
Um, I'm going to fade the defense wins championships narrative that uh, people like to throw out there. And um, I'll take the Seahawks. You know what? I I think I'm taking the points again here. If there's anybody that can catch Russell Wilson, maybe it's Chase Young. I have no idea. This, This is a pass rushing group that is fairly legitimate. They're great. They're, they're, you know, I for whatever reason, I just kind of feel like, I, I don't know. I, I'm taking I'm taking the football team. All right, the Eagles at the Cardinals. Cardinals, they, they played well enough against the Giants, who were not good this mm-hmm. past week. I just got finished watching that tape. Um, and, and Jalen Hurts comes off for Philadelphia and rattles the cage, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's not... He didn't light it up by any means, but 100 yards rushing is 100 yards rushing, and it jump-started this football team. So are we riding the uh, the Hurts wave here? Well, this is six and a half. I just checked the DraftKings Sportsbook, and it's still six and a half. And last week, we talked all week long about how ridiculous it was that people were getting on the Giants bandwagon. Like Colt McCoy beat the Seahawks. The Seahawks had a terrible game. We get it. Giants are not a good football team. And the reason that the Cardinals won that game so handily is because the Giants are not a good football team. So I want to pump the brakes a little bit on the Cardinals. Think about this. The Saints were seven point favorites against the Eagles last week. And the Saints, I think, are a better team than the Cardinals. And the Cardinals are now base, you know, it's it's six and a half, pretty close to seven. Um, I think there's more than half a point separating those two teams. Jalen Hurts didn't throw the ball a ton. So his grade wasn't great. He made one throw that probably should have been a pick six, but he was the anti-Wentz. Wentz leads the league in sacks. He has like 48. Next closest guy is like 39. Went uh, Hurts did not take a sack. Sacks really matter. Did not take a sack. He was elusive. He scrambled for positive yardage. It's basically what Kyler Murray did for the Cardinals when he was healthy. That upside, that floor that a Russian quarterback gives you is huge. I, I like the Eagles here. I like Jalen Hurts getting six and a half points. I, I just don't think the Cardinals have it all the way together right now. You know what worries me, though? Think of all the long runs that Daniel Jones had against the New York Giants this year um, on, on with – you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. Or, or against uh, against the Eagles, Eagles, I mean. And and I, I just want – and watching Kyler Murray on that tape, I mean, the Giants did everything. They had a spy. They had a mush rush. They, they did everything on third down and five to try and keep Kyler Murray from picking up the first down. They simply could not get their hands on him. They could not get their hands on him. Uh, and the Eagles, God, they give up a lot. They, they attack downhill. I'm I'm going to be crazy here. I'm going to take the Cardinals. I know that's wrong, and I'm actually going to take the Cardinals. There you Did, go. So so Kyler looked, and this is I I should have asked you this. Did Kyler look healthy to you? He did. Okay. Yeah, he, he looked healthy. Their passing game is not. Their passing game is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Still, I mean, it really is. I mean, you can see that. You know, the 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 run option is still a big part of it, um, but. But I, I, I worry about the Eagles defensively. I know how they attack downhill with those linebackers. Yeah. And if there's any team that could give up some long runs uh, against that sort of read option look, this is it. I, I, I want to see how Philadelphia is going to play it. I, they got to do something different. Let me, let me ask you a quick question. Did you watch the Eagles-Saints game? Um, I watched parts of it, yeah. Okay. I have not seen – I've watched a fair number, more Eagles games than I'd care to admit. I haven't seen Eagles players play that hard. I haven't seen Eagles coaches coach that hard in a long time. Is that, is that Jalen Hurts energy? Like, I don't know what else it could be. Well, I mean, you think about it from the rest of the team standpoint. If you can't win with Carson Wentz and you can't win with Jalen Hurts, then it's your fault. But if you win with Jalen Hurts, then it's Carson Wentz's fault. Right. So, I mean, that was, that's your last hope. Plus they're still in it. I mean, they are still in the race, which is unbelievable, but they are still in the race. So I don't know. Uh, Let's go on now. Texans at the Colts. The Colts look great. Right. And Paul Gunther gets fired after they play the, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders out there. Uh, Colts are a seven point favorite. The Texans looked horrible. Right. I mean, they they just, 
they looked horrible uh, in that game. And uh, for as good as uh, Deshaun Watson has been this season, especially as of late since basically uh, O'Brien got fired, he's been on fire. Uh, but he's he's missing a lot of weapons, isn't he? He is. And this, I'm uh, as of this morning, it was seven. I just checked on the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, and it's moving out. It's now seven and a half. I think it yeah. could uh, stay at seven and a half. That's a big move because so many games end in seven. So getting to seven and a half matters here. They played two weeks ago. This is a division game. Deshaun Watson is a prideful guy. He is the third highest graded quarterback. If it weren't for Mahomes and Rodgers having ridiculous seasons, He's, he's the most valuable player in the NFL. And I honestly feel terrible for him, but they were a fumbled snap at the goal line away from being the Colts two weeks ago. So I kind of want to, I hate letting recency bias overwhelm me. Um, Deshaun Watson isn't giving up on the season. So at seven and a half, I will, I'll finally go with uh, an underdog, another, well, I'll go with another underdog here, I should say, and take the Texans. Division games are so tough. Mm-hmm. Seven and a half. I'm still taking the Colts. Forget it. I'm not doing it. I'm still taking the Colts. All right. Chiefs at Saints. There we go. And so this is it, right? This is the really interesting game. This is the one that may throw us back into Drew Brees. This is the one. Does Taysom Hill have it? Is he going to be the quarterback of the future? Mm-hmm. How does he look against the Chiefs? The Chiefs have managed to play everybody close, no matter what. I mean, it's always coming down to the fourth quarter with these guys now. I have no idea why. Uh, They've clinched the AFC West. They're currently the number one seed. Uh, The Chiefs have all the momentum. But but this is still a challenge. When you go into the Superdome, that is a tough place to go in, crowd or no crowd. Well, that was going to be my question to you, was there isn't – that crowd there. So we've seen that home field advantage is worth barely a point. If that, you know, so it basically meaningless, this is, it was three and a half earlier this morning. Saints is a home dog that has been bouncing all over. I think it's going to end. It's going to finish right now. And on DraftKings Sportsbook, you can get the chiefs at minus two and a half, but you're paying a heavy price. You're betting $122 to win a hundred. So my guess is it'll end up, Maybe when you're listening to this podcast at Chiefs minus three, I'm going to say this. I know Drew Brees is great. He has not played as great this season. He's coming back after a couple of cracked ribs. I'm not sure that they're going to be on the same page here. The Chiefs are getting a lot of crap because they're not covering big spreads, right? They haven't covered their last five games, but they're five and oh, this is a much smaller spread. I just don't see the chief. The Chiefs are too good of a team. I never I'm never worried that Mahomes is going to lose. I'm sorry. I just, I'm never, I never am. It doesn't matter if he's down 20. Uh, Saints defense is really good. I mean, they, they're, they're really good. The problem they have is the chiefs offense is even better. Um, I I just, eventually when you play the chiefs, it comes down to can you score with those guys? That's the reason I now look at the Buffalo Bills mm-hmm. as a team that I go, maybe, you know, they, mm-hmm. they are capable of scoring 30 points. And I'm not sure right now the Saints are capable of scoring 30 points. Now, does Breeze play? Does he not play? How does he look if he does? You know, all those sort of things factor into it. A few too many variables for me on essentially – a neutral field, given the fact there's no crowd and there's no none of that stuff. I, I that's to me that's not enough points for. I'm still taking the world champs. Yeah, this is a big game here. You know, Steve Kornacki has been going on while you and uh, Al or you and Mike are taking a break at halftime, and he's been talking about the different playoff probabilities, different you know um, scenarios that could play out. Both these teams need to win for that one seed, right? The Saints lost to the Eagles. That killed them in the one seed. The Chiefs now, because of the Steelers' loss, have that thing locked up. They just got to keep winning here. Um, so this is a this is a big game um, for for both teams. So it's not like any either of them are going to lay off uh, at all here. But man, I'm I'm continuing to roll with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, and, and he's coming off a personal low. You know, what he mm-hmm. throw three picks in the game the other mm-hmm. day. So, you know, he's going to have a little juice going into this one, right? He's, yep. he's definitely going to have a little juice. 
But, God, don't underestimate what they can do, you know, getting after the quarterback and defensively they can be pretty good. But I, I'm, I, it's just not enough from what I've seen with Kansas City. I just don't think the Chiefs have played their game yet. You talk to those guys down there, mm-hmm. and they go, we haven't even come close to playing a complete game. And yet they do spurts of like 21 points in a, in a half a quarter kind of thing, which is just nobody else can do that. Yeah, no, and um, I, I'm with you. I also think the Chiefs' defense hasn't been nearly as bad as people like to to make it seem. So while I think we're expecting Alvin Kamara, certainly with Drew Brees, we expect him to be a lot better. But look, they still have they have Tyron Matthew, who's a menace in the slot. Um, so I think they'll do a better job of maybe slowing the, the Saints down than people will give them credit for. Um, I got to ask you one question, Chris. You watched the yeah. game last night. I watched three quarters and fell asleep. I got in at 4.30 okay. in the morning the night before. So uh, I'm sure you've seen Lamar Jackson gets cramps. Yeah. Um, runs off the field. There's video of him. You know, cramps, I get it. It looks like he had some some bowel issues, some bowel movements there. Uh, what's, the, what's the craziest thing that you have either seen or heard of someone having to do on the sideline like has someone ever said hey i gotta go take a crap i'm gonna be right back um <laughs> i've seen some crazy stuff uh nick bonacani said he forgot to take his uh, halftime pee one time and so he got out on the field and you know so he either had to risk going in and missing a play or just go and so he was on the field and he goes i just went i go what he goes, I just, I just, in my uniform, I just, I just went. And I said, get out of there. It's so gross. Get out of here. You did seriously. And it's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I did. I, I mean, I, 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 it was just cringeworthy. I, you know, it, it was in the Super Bowl. I'm not sure I could do that. You know, I, I just don't know. I don't know if I could do that one. Well, Lamar certainly didn't have the option to do that. Uh, last you, you know, who has the, the best one now is uh, Lawrence Taylor, who, you remember the whole thing where he was late for the Monday mm-hmm. night game? He got there yeah. in like the second quarter. And I said, you know, tell me tell me what happened, you know, with, with the thing. And he said, I got behind this foursome that was so slow. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. He said, he goes, you got behind, you were playing golf uh, before the Monday night game. He goes, yeah. And he goes, and I said, you got behind a slow force. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, why didn't you leave the course before you finish around? He said, I've got to finish 18. What are you talking about? You got to, you can't leave in the middle of the thing. And I go, what? And he goes, yeah. And so I said, so you get to the stadium. He goes, yeah. And he goes, yeah, there was a little traffic. That was a problem too. And he said, so I get to the stadium and they've already kicked it off. So I'm in there putting on my uniform. And I said, okay. Now you come out on the field, it's the middle of the first quarter, and you gotta go up to Parcells and you gotta tell him something about why you missed the start of the game. What'd you tell him? He said, I went up to him and I said, coach, I got behind this foursome that was so slow. I go, no, you didn't. No, you did not. He goes, I'm telling you, that's what I told him. And he went, get in there. Is that the best? That's, that's the best. The, that's the most incredible story. I've he's ever the heard. he's the greatest of all time. I'm telling you, there are the Lawrence Taylor stories. Phil Sims can go on for six hours with these things. The greatest in the world. In the world. You know, the only other athlete who I, if I heard that story, I could kind of think it could be that guy is Michael Jordan. Well, yeah, what's it, what are you going to do? There's, Michael, we're sitting you on the bench for punishment. Right. Get out of here. <laughs> Get in there. Yeah, I said, yeah. well, how'd you do? He said, I said, how'd you do in the game? He goes, I killed him. I, I killed him. Michael, Michael wouldn't leave the golf course because he's, you know, he's got hundreds of thousands of dollars on the last three holes. And then he'd show up and he'd, he'd drop like 60 on the calves or something like that. Uh, I, you know, so there are some guys, let's face it. Some people are just born a little different. Man, that's just born a little different. All right. Well, you have uh, you and I are going against each other on all these picks. So I, I look forward. So, what is our season record anyway? I, do we not keep score? We got I, I can't bet, but can we? Can we keep score? I'll get I'll get it on it. We'll get him to go back and uh, and go through all of our picks and see who's winning. 
Uh, see, that's the danger because you're their boss. So this is this is a definite <laughs> danger here. All right, I, I'll believe them. All right, All I'm right. going to double a trust but verify. I'm going to do a little verification here. We get we'll get that. some sworn testimony. Don't worry. They also know that it's you, so they're not going to. You know, I'm the one that I feel like is more in danger. They're going to want to skew it towards you. Oh, then it's good. Yeah, it's you're, good. you're in good shape. You'll be fine. That's good. All right, brother. We will see you next week, and we'll have all of our results for the entire season. See who is the best picker for the DraftKings Sports app. Here we go.